this is Book Club Cheats, a podcast for book clubbers who just can't seem to find the time to read. I'm your host, Lippi Turner-Roman, and today we're going to be talking about Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. My father's an eye surgeon, and growing up, I always knew he wanted my siblings and me to follow him into medicine. He was determined to become a physician when his mother got ill, and there wasn't a doctor in his village or even in the next town. Unfortunately for him, none of us followed his path into medicine. He got over his disappointment, mostly, I think. Parental expectations and the complicated and intricate histories and relationships parents and grandparents have and their impacts going forward with their children is beautifully portrayed in Celeste Ng's family drama, Everything I Never Told You. It's a heartbreaking and poignant sad tale of a family trying to understand how they arrived at the point that they find themselves. The book and the family process the effects of crushing parental expectations and the suffocating weight of racism, sexism, alienation, belonging, jealousy and love. Everything I Never Told You explores relationships the Lee family have with each other and with themselves. Everything I Never Told You is also very character-driven. There is very little plot, and the narrative is told from multiple perspectives and is non-linear and filled with backstories, and which weave in and out of the past, present, and future. The book opens with attention-grabbing lines. Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. 1977, May 3rd, 6.30 in the morning, No one knows anything but this innocuous fact. Lydia is late for breakfast. We know Lydia is dead, and pretty soon her family will know too. Why Lydia is dead is the question the family and we try to understand. When Lydia fails to come down to breakfast, Marilyn, Lydia's mother, encounters every mother's nightmare. Marilyn sends 18-year-old Nath and Hannah, a fifth grader, off to school and searches the whole house. Cupboards, refrigerators, under sinks, the garage, everything. 1977. It's the year the serial killer, son of Sam, is on the prowl and Marilyn's mind is racing. The Lees are an interracial family in a small college town in Ohio. Lydia's father, James, a Chinese-American, is a professor of American history at the university. The police ask the Lees to call Lydia's friends to see if they know where she could be. James and Marilyn, securing the knowledge of their daughter's popularity, start calling, but are shocked to learn that the girls on the list haven't talked to Lydia in years. Nath knows Lydia doesn't have any friends. Nath and Lydia, the only Asian Americans in their high school, are each other's only friends, sitting together at lunch and on the bus ride home. The kids at school talk to Lydia only to get assignments assignments and their and to copy her homework. Lydia spent hours on the phone, especially when James was around, talking to a dial tone. Nath also knows, rather than doing extra credit for physics, Lydia spent all spring with the local bad boy, Jack, who lives across the street. Nath keeps quiet. Hannah also keeps quiet with her secret about Lydia. She heard Lydia leave very late at night, but didn't stop her. She knows no one took Lydia. Lydia went out to her death willingly and by herself. Everyone in the family knows that Lydia is their parents' favourite. Lydia is the linchpin that holds the family together. 
On the lake at the centre of town, just yards away from their house, a boat floats aimlessly. James could never teach Lydia to swim. Lydia is afraid of water and would never willingly go to the lake alone. The police dredge the lake and find Lydia's body on Thursday. Each family member deals with their grief in different ways, alone. The family, while seemingly very close, are strangers to each other. In the aftermath of Lydia's death, over a three-month period, they explore big and small things that led to Lydia's death. The roots of Lydia's death actually really started long before she was born. In the mid-1950s, Marilyn and James get together because each fundamentally misunderstands each other's yearnings. Marilyn wanted to stand out, to be different, and James wanted to blend in, to disappear. Each thought the other could give them what they wanted. James's parents emigrated to America under false names to get around the racist Chinese exclusionary immigration laws. They worked at an elite prep school so James could get a free education. James feels ashamed of his parents and stops speaking Chinese at home. The other workers laugh at his parents, especially his mother, who wraps uneaten school food to reheat in their small apartment. Page 43. When the term began in September, he rode into school with his father in the Ford truck that the school had lent him for his maintenance work. You're the first oriental boy to attend Lloyd, his father reminded him. Set a good example. That first morning, James slid into his seat and the girl next to him asked, what's wrong with your eyes? It wasn't until he heard the horror in the teacher's voice, Shirley Byron, that he realised he was supposed to be embarrassed. The next time it happened, he learned his lesson and turned red right away. In every class, every day the first week, the other students studied him. Where had he come from, this boy? He had a book bag, a Lloyd uniform, yet he didn't live at the school like the rest of them. He looked like no one they'd ever seen. Now and then his father would be called in to loosen a squeaky window, replace a light bulb, mop up a spill. James, scrunched in the back row, saw his classmates glance from his father to him and knew that they suspected. He would bend his head over his book so close that his nose nearly touched the page until his father left the room. By the second month, he asked his parents for permission to walk to and fro the school by himself. Alone, he could pretend to be just another student. He could pretend that, in the uniform, he just looked like everyone else. He spent 12 years at Lloyd and never felt at home. At Lloyd, everyone seemed to be descended from a pilgrim or a senator or a Rockefeller. But when they did family tree projects in class, he pretended to forget the assignment rather than draw his own complicated diagram. Don't ask any questions, he prayed silently as the teacher marked a small red zero next to his name. He set himself a curriculum of studying American culture, listening to the radio, reading comics, saving his pocket money for double features, learning the rules of the new board games, in case anyone ever asked, Hey, did you hear Red Skelton yesterday? Or, wanna play Monopoly? Though no one ever did. As he grew older, he did not attend the dances, or the prep rallies, or the junior or the senior proms. At best, the girls smiled silently at him in the hallways, at worst, they stared as he passed, and he heard their snickers as he turned the corner. At graduation, the yearbook ran one photo of him beside the obligatory senior portrait, 
a shot of him at an assembly to greet President Truman, his head visible over the shoulders of the class treasurer and a girl who would go on to marry a Belgian prince. His ears, blushing pink in real life, were a deep and unnatural grey in the photograph, but his mouth slightly open as if he was caught trespassing. At college, he hoped things would be different. Yet, after seven years at Harvard, four as an undergrad, three and counting as a graduate student, nothing had changed. Without realising why, he studied the most quintessentially American subject he could find, cowboys, but he never spoke of his parents or his family. He still had a few acquaintances and no friends. He still found himself shifting in his seat as if any moment someone might notice him and ask him to leave. Marilyn is brought up by a deserted single mother. Marilyn's mother doesn't want to work as a home ec teacher and just wanted the gentle life of a southern housewife. Her greatest possession is a Betty Crocker cookbook with notes scribbled inside for creating happy homes and satisfied husbands. Marilyn is super smart. She sets the curve in all her classes and definitely doesn't want to be a homemaker. Marilyn plans to be a doctor in a white coat with stethoscope helping people. Marilyn gets a scholarship to Radcliffe where she overcomes sexism to again set the curve in all her classes. Marilyn meets James when she takes an American history class and most of the class leave during that first lecture and Marilyn goes to apologise to James. She surprises herself and James by kissing him. Marilyn is enthralled by James because she thinks he understands what it's like to be different. James equates blonde-haired, blue-eyed Marilyn with America itself and loves her because she blended in so perfectly and is welcoming and seems so completely and utterly at home, something James is not, even though America is his home. James and Marilyn start a relationship and Marilyn gets pregnant. She quits school and plans a quick courthouse wedding. Marilyn's mother isn't expecting a Chinese-American son-in-law and wonders if James, who's born in California, isn't marrying her for her green card. At the courthouse, Marilyn's mother tells her she'll regret the marriage later, that it's not right to think about the children, that they won't fit in anywhere that Marilyn will be sorry for the rest of her life. Unbeknownst to Marilyn, James hears the whole conversation. Marilyn never sees her mother again. James doesn't get a teaching position at Harvard. He's not the right fit and takes the job in rural Ohio. And eight years later, with two children, Marilyn realises that she's actually living the life of the homemaker her mother dreamed for her. She tries to get a part-time job as a chemistry department, but James doesn't want Marilyn to work. He thinks people will assume he doesn't make enough and that his wife has to hire herself out. Marilyn goes back home to her mother's house to deal with it when her mother dies and at the house Marilyn is angry at the smallness of her mother's life and promises herself that she'll never end up like her mom. Marilyn takes the Betty Crocker book home with her and when she's home she finds herself driving to the hospital where she sees her neighbour Jack's mother Dr Wolf in action and determines to become a doctor. Without telling her family, Marilyn gets an apartment in Toledo, is accepted to the local community college. She just has eight credits left to finish her degree. Marilyn writes a letter to James explaining why she's leaving. Page 100. I realise that I'm not happy with the life I lead. I always had one kind of life in mind and things have turned out very differently. Marilyn took a deep, ragged breath. 
I have kept all these feelings inside me for so long. But now, after being in my mother's house again, I think of her and realize I cannot put things aside. I know you'll be fine without me. She paused, trying to convince herself this was true. I hope you can understand why I have to leave. I hope you can forgive me. For a long time, Marilyn sat, ballpoint in hand, unsure how to finish. In the end, she tore up the note and tossed the shreds into the waste paper basket. Better, she decided, just to go, to disappear from their lives as if she had never been there. To Nath and Lydia, who that afternoon found themselves unmet at the bus stop, let themselves into an unlocked and empty house that was exactly how it seemed. Their father, when he came home two hours later to find his children huddled onto the front steps, as if they were afraid to be in the house alone, kept asking questions. What do you mean, gone? he asked Nath, who could only repeat gone, the only word he could find. Lydia, meanwhile, said nothing at all during the confused rest of the evening, in which their father called the police and then all the neighbours but forgot about dinner and bedtime as the policeman took note after note until she and Nath fell asleep on the living room floor. She woke in the middle of the night in her own bed where her father had deposited her shoes still on and felt for the diary her mother had given her at Christmas. At last, something important had occurred, something she ought to write down, but she did not know how to explain what had happened, how everything had changed in just one day, how someone she loved so dearly could be there one minute and the next minute gone. James assumes Marilyn left because she regrets marrying a Chinese-American and being different and not fitting in, that it's all about race, and that America's rejected him, so and Marilyn has rejected him and the kids. James, Nath and Lydia feel as if everyone in town is talking about them. James feeds Nath and Lydia peanut butter and jelly sandwiches morning, noon and night and leaves the kids to watch and TV and fall asleep in front of the TV all evening long. Nasser sends up Gemini 6 and Nath is enthralled. He tries to convey his wonder and joy to James, who, frustrated, slaps Nath and breaks the TV. Eight-year-old Nath and six-year-old Lydia deal with Marilyn's absence separately. Page 136. She flipped the pages looking at the photos of the cream pies and cookie houses and the standing rib roasts, and there on one page, a line drawn down the side. She sounded out the words. What mother doesn't love to cook with her little girl? Beneath that, and what little girl doesn't love learning with mom? Little Bumps pocketed the page all over, as if it had been out in the rain, and Lydia stroked them like braille with her fingertips. She did not understand what they were until a tear splashed against the page. When she wiped it away, a tiny goose bump remained. Another formed, then another. Her mother must have cried over this page too. It's not your fault, her father had said, but Lydia knew it was. They'd done something wrong, she and Nath, and they'd made her angry somehow. They hadn't been what she wanted. If her mother ever came home and told her to finish her milk, she thought, the page wavering to a blur, she would finish her milk. She would brush her teeth without being asked and stop crying when the doctor gave her shots. She would go to sleep the second her mother turned out the light. She would never get sick again. She would do everything her mother told her. Everything her
her mother wanted. One day, Nas accidentally pushes Lydia into the lake. Nas jumps in and pulls her out. Lying on the grass recovering, Lydia clutches Nath's hand to say, don't let go. This bond ties brother and sister together forever and weighs Nath down. Nearly every night after this incident, Lydia comes to talk to Nath, her ally. In Toledo, Marilyn faints and finds out that she's pregnant. James brings her home. He's so grateful that she's home. Marilyn tells James that she made a terrible mistake and tells herself that this is it. Let it go. This is what you have. Accept it. Lydia thinks her mother's return is a miracle. She made a promise to do everything her mother wanted and her mother heard and came home. Lydia hides the cookbook and tells Marilyn she lost it and Marilyn sees it as a sign. It's too late for her, but it's not too late for Lydia to become a doctor. She will guide and do everything in her power to make Lydia a doctor. Every conversation Marilyn has going forth with Lydia involves learning. Every good night story is about science or scientists. Every Christmas and birthday gift is a book about science. Every time Marilyn asks Lydia to read, study, do something, Marilyn holds her breath and says, if only you're interested. And every time Lydia, remembering her promise, says yes, every time. Marilyn's obsession with making sure Lydia becomes a doctor pushes Nath and Hannah, who's born after her mother's return, to the periphery of their parental love. James adores Lydia because of her blue eyes and her similarity to Marilyn. Lydia is fully accepted by white America, according to James. He's thrilled that she's got friends, is popular, is always urging her to make more friends, join clubs and go to dances. James buys books on how to win friends for Lydia, gives her a necklace that the popular kids are wearing, buys her dresses that she hardly wears, dresses really meant for dances, which Lydia goes to but hides in the back, just waiting for it all to end. Lydia really is the antithesis of what James and Marilyn assumes about her. She's a loner with no friends and her grades are sliding badly. Lydia's parents love her to death and each parent hangs his or her missed opportunities and expectations on Lydia. Marilyn and James's love and crushing expectations shine too brightly on Lydia. Meanwhile, Nath and Hannah are ignored and forgotten. James is harsh with Nath because he looks like him and every time James looks at Nath, He's reminded of how he was bullied, how he is, was, and not a soft-spoke word is spoken to Nath. At dinner, Marilyn and James thirstily drink up facts about Lydia's day, but brush aside Nath. Nath is actually the genius in the family, but his fascination with space hardly makes an impact on his parents. And Hannah? Well, Hannah is an afterthought, an outsider to the family. Even when she's in the room, she's ignored. Marilyn sometimes even forgets to set a place at the table for her. Hannah spends hours hiding under tables behind doors, catching conversations and seeing things as others in her family miss and willfully ignore. The tight bond between Nath and Lydia is chafing Nath and he needs to get out. As Nath's college acceptance letters start rolling in, Lydia hides them. Without Nath, she'll be alone. Nath catches Lydia tearing up his third acceptance letter from Harvard and he's so angry at Lydia and refuses to talk to her. 
Lydia is suffocating. Failing her classes and to piss Nath off, she decides to befriend bad boy Jack. In Jack's car, Lydia talks, smokes and learns to drive. Page 192. I've never seen a Chinese person with blue eyes. Up close, she could see a constellation of freckles on Jack's cheek, faded now, but still there. As her brother had long ago, Lydia counted them. Nine. You know you're the only girl in this school who's not white. Yeah? I didn't realise. This was a lie. Even with blue eyes, she could not pretend she blended in. You and Nath, you're practically the only Chinese people in the whole of Middlewood, I bet. Probably. Jack settled back into his seat and rubbed at the small dent in the plastic of the steering wheel. Then, after a moment, he said, What's that like? What's it like? Lydia hesitated. Sometimes you almost forgot that you didn't look like everyone else. In homeroom or at the drugstore or at the supermarket, you listened to morning announcements and dropped off a roll of film or picked out a carton of eggs and felt just like another someone in the crowd. Sometimes you didn't think about it at all. And then sometimes you noticed the girl across the aisle watching, the pharmacists watching, the checkout boy watching. And you saw yourself reflected in their stares, incongruous, catching the eye like a hawk. Every time you saw yourself from the outside, the way other people saw you, you remembered all over again. You saw it in the sign at the Peking Express, a cartoon man with a coolie hat, slant eyes, butt teeth and chopsticks. You saw it in the little boys on the playground, stretching their eyes to slits with their fingers. Chinese, Japanese, look at these. And in the older boys who muttered, ching, chong, ching, chong, ching, as they passed you on the street, just loud enough for you to hear. You saw it when waitresses and policemen and bus drivers spoke slowly to you in simple words, as if you might not understand. You saw it in photos, yours the only black head of hair in the scene, as if you had been cut out and pasted in. You thought, wait, what's she doing there? And then you remembered she was you. You kept your head down and thought about school or space or the future and tried to forget about it. And you did until it happened again. I don't know, she said. People decide what you're like before they even get to know you. She eyed him, suddenly fierce, kind of like you did with me. They think they know all about you, except you're never who they think they are. For Lydia's 16th birthday, James gives her a necklace instead of a book, and she loves it. And on the way to taking her driver's head test, though, Lydia meets James's TA, Louisa Chen, and finds out that it's actually Louisa who chose the necklace. Louisa is very familiar with James and rests her hands on James the way that Marilyn does, and Lydia incorrectly assumes that they're having an affair. Lydia fails her driver's head tests and breaks the necklace and throws it under the bed. Hannah finds it, but Lydia slaps her, telling her not to touch it. For support, Lydia phones Nath, who's gone to Harvard for a college visit. But Nath, caught between jealousy and resentment, angrily tells her to take her problems to Jack. Lydia decides to have sex with Jack in his car, but Jack refuses and tells Lydia that he's actually in love with Nath, that it's always been Nath. That night, Lydia realises everything is wrong and that where she needs to go to fix it.
Lydia goes to the dock where Nath saved her. She wants to learn to save herself, to be herself by conquering her fear of water. She decides to throw off all expectations, to tell her dad James that she doesn't want to be popular, to tell Marilyn that she doesn't want to be a doctor or to have her dreams, to tell Nath to go to Harvard, that he doesn't need to save her any longer, to go and be the individual that he dreams of being. She wants to learn to save herself, so Lydia decides to row the boat to the middle of the lake. She steps out of the boat, expecting to swim to the shore, and accidentally drowns. James keeps the autopsy results and the local newspaper articles that chronicles Lydia's death from Marilyn. And after the funeral, Marilyn disappears into Lydia's room, slowly going through each and every item, trying to understand the daughter she thought she knew and why she died. James starts an affair with Louisa. Anath is convinced that Jack killed Lydia and is involved somehow and proceeds to follow and harangue and beat up Jack. Nath finally ends up swallowing two bottles of whiskey by the side of the road. Three months after Lydia's death, Marilyn finds out about James's affair and confronts James, who storms out, but realises that while he was always fixated on Marilyn leaving, he forgot that she came back and that she stayed. James returns home and he sees Hannah and realises that he neglected her and laughingly plays a piggyback game with her, that he always played with Lydia. Marilyn and James reconcile understanding that while each left the family, they also returned because they wanted to be with each other and be with the family. And Nath, Nath understands that Lydia's death is not Jack's fault. And then the family become reconciled, but they actually become a different family due to Lydia's death. I very much enjoyed everything I never told you. I read it over two evenings and the writing and the characters really stayed with me when I put the book down each evening, being turned over and over in my mind. I definitely examined if I was trying to live vicariously through my children and kept asking them if they were okay and happy, which I think really freaked them out a little bit. There is very strong transition between chapters which really help in the pacing and the thematic entity of the book and it just kept keeps you uh, wanting to read one more page and carry on to the next chapter. I liked Ng's other book, Little Fires Everywhere, which is also written from a multiple perspective and explores the way that the past is imprinted and influences the present and the future. But I think out of the two, everything I never told you is my favourite. The story here is more tighter since it focuses on one family and it adds a richness and a complexity which I found missing in Little Fires. But I really would have loved to have known Jack's perspective, seen that. But again, that's just a little quibble. Ing's world building and storytelling is subtle and her prose is very lyrical. Although some might find it too much, some people also may find the book too moody and slow paced. The characters were three-dimensional. They're flawed and they're complex. And they we travel with each character. We hear the thoughts and the feelings of each person. We see how these characters are and what their how their experiences molded them to be this way. I can't say I fully loved any of the leaves except perhaps poor Hannah. They were all so flawed and it's Ing's 
phenomenal talent that I emphasized with and cried with and was frustrated and shocked by each of those characters. Ying doesn't tell you who to root for, she just lays out all the gory details for you to shift through. And then Ying's lets us dive into each character's psyche, allowing us to sort of really examine the complicated and fraught relationships of the Lee family, um, of their dynamics, of the love, the jealousy and the quiet resentment that like Nath and Lydia's relationship was built on. Um, that really felt authentic and resonated with me, having a lot of siblings myself. The book explores the challenges of identity and race, the way that it manifests differently for women and people of color. Ng highlights one of the aspects of Asian experience in America, the racism, casual and overt, that James and his mixed race children faced, and how that racism is actually just as suffocating as the parental expectations that Lydia faced. It crushed James. I grew up in a person of color in England during the 70s and now live in a small rural university town in the USA. And some of my experiences definitely mirror James and the Lee children. However, although as immigrants and people of color, my family faced isolation and alienation. We still had casual and good white uh, friends, white friends in our neighborhoods, people we could depend on to help and and we were a part of the community. and. I felt that Ng's portrayal was very, very severe. The book implies that it's just race that isolates the family, but I did wonder if James and Marilyn's innate personalities were actually solitary, that if they were loners by nature and had obsessive personalities, and that if they were different people, they could have uh, built something different, and that really the people that they were meant that they effectively built a wall around their family and created a toxic atmosphere at home. Anyway, those are different perspectives for sure on the immigrant experience. I loved Ng's use of irony in the tale. James, who'd never felt uh, American, even though he is, uh, never felt at home, chooses American history to teach and specialize in. And the most iconic uh, American character, the cowboy, to specialize in. I did wonder, though, if James taught any other classes um, than the one on cowboys, because being an academia myself, I, I know that he would be teaching at least three or four other classes um, in a small university. Um, Lydia thinks that Louisa, Louisa and James are having an affair, but it's actually her death that actually pushes James to start the affair. And we know that Lydia's death is an accident, but her family thinks it's suicide, and that's why they accept culpability and change um, their behavior and their thinking at the end. And finally, we know that each character's um, dreams, hopes, sorrows and desires and longings but they themselves as a family don't know that about each other and that fundamentally that throughout most of the book they're strangers to one another. Here are some book club questions. Why do you think James was so passive in his relationship with Marilyn? Why did he not intervene between Marilyn and Lydia? Marilyn realises that Lydia was not the girl they thought she was. She kept so many secrets. Can parents ever fully know their children? Do you know yours? The book explores the way people's lineages and upbringings shape their lives. In what way has your upbringing and lineage shaped yours? The characters in Everything I Never Told You have their dreams deferred and hopes crushed. 
What dreams and hopes of yours have been crushed and deferred and why? Marilyn has a hard time balancing family and professional life. How do you balance family and professional life? And do you think women can have it all? In what way do parental expectations influence children? Celeste Ng's other wonderful book is Little Fires Everywhere. I hope you get a chance to read everything I never told you. Bye-bye.